Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you um, that we can gather and, and, and hear it, reflect on it, meditate on it. But, Father, we need more than just sitting around listening to it. We need your spirit to open the eyes, uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see what it is that you have to uh, say to us this morning. And I do pray that uh, my words are, are, are merely... Um, uh, a vehicle of what it is that you have to uh, speak to us. So I do pray that, Father, encourage us by this word um, and, and, and massage it into our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just dive right on in. Um, what does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to inherit the earth? I mean, this is in, in just one statement. Jesus is just... Uh, really saying some profound things. So let's, let's, let's talk about it. What does it mean to be meek? Is that a positive thing, a negative thing? Is that, does strength come to your mind when you hear the word meek? Or is it synonymous with weakness? Um, hopefully we'll see by the end of this that um, uh, meekness is strength restrained. Um, interesting turn of phrase, but I hope that we will will see that. But um, to begin to answer these questions of what does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to inherit the earth? To to begin to answer these questions, what I'm going to do is actually flip things around and start at the end of that phrase with the inheritance and then work backwards. And to do that, uh, we need to get underneath what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. Five. And what we realize when we dig a little deeper is that Jesus is actually quoting a psalm with this statement. Psalm 37, verse 11. And this is one of the things I love about Scripture is that it's constantly reference, referencing itself. And when, when you realize the reference, it just adds so much more meaning. You're like, oh, that's why he went there. or That's why he said that. And Jesus Quoting Psalm 37 in Matthew 5, 5, if we're going to understand what he's saying in Matthew, we need to kind of get into his mind a little bit of what what does he have in the back of his mind as he's saying this. So to do that, we need to investigate Psalm 37, right? If he's quoting from it, let's look at what he's quoting from. So um, if you could bring up Psalm 37, I'm going to, it's a pretty lengthy psalm. I'm not going to go through all of it. I'm going to start at verse 5, but listen to what is sort of uh, in the background of Jesus' statement about the meek inheriting the earth. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place, and then he'll not be there. And then here it is, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now. Some of you all might have picked up on something right there. Verse 11, the word is land, but in Hebrew, in um, Matthew 5, 5, the word is earth. What's going on there? I could go into it. I'm not going to bore you, but I will say this, that the words being translated are interchangeable. Earth, land, 
interchangeable. The Hebrew word, the Greek word, interchangeable. So let's not get tripped up on that. Let's stay focused with this question. How do these verses from Psalm 37 help us understand Matthew 5, 5? Well, first of all, when the Old Testament Israelites, the original hearers of Psalm 37, when they heard about the inheritance of land, all these buzzers and flashes and flags started going off in their brains because that is one of those phrases that points them back to something else. Inheritance of land. Oh, I know what that is. And what does it point back to? God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15. And again, I'm not going to go through all of it again, but just briefly, in Genesis 15, in this covenant, the Lord promises Abraham, for one thing, many descendants, through which the whole world would be blessed. That's one of the promises in the covenant. Descendants. But God also promises Abraham and his offspring what? Land. An inheritance of land. Canaan. This will be the place like we see at the end of Psalm 37 at verse 11. This will be a place of delight and abundant shalom. Peace. Peace with God. So... Fast forward to Matthew 5, 5, and the Jews in the audience that had climbed up the mountain with Jesus, and they're sitting there listening to this. Because again, Matthew was written primarily for Jews, and they're hearing this phrase again. And it has the same impact on them. (gasps) Land inheritance. I know what that references to, the Abrahamic covenant. The Messiah is going to come, restore Israel to the glory days, raise an army, kick out the Romans, We can restore our land by defeating the Romans. And remember, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Right at the beginning, he's like, no, 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 no. My kingdom is not like that. I am not like that. You were looking for a, a mighty militant warrior, but I am going to save through meekness. This is not what what you are seeing of me and expecting of me is not how I am. Furthermore, what I'm going to win for you, the inheritance that I'm offering is infinitely more valuable than a piece of land. It's eternal life. You still think this is all about a spot on a map. You think this is still about land, but I'm offering eternal life. That's the inheritance. What was the other part of the covenant with Abraham? That through his descendants, all the world would be blessed. And Jesus is saying, guess what? I'm that descendant. And through me, the people of the world are offered eternal life. There will come one day when a group of folks in Mills River, North Carolina, will meet and gather and receive what I am winning for them, what I have won. That's the inheritance. So if the inheritance that Jesus is referring to in this beatitude is eternal life, which does, of course, include a new heaven and a new earth. We now need to begin to scooch back to the beginning of the verse and start talking about the meek. Who are they? Am I one? Uh, what, 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 is it, what does it mean to be meek? And I, I think a helpful way to begin to understand this is to consider this classic uh, piece of work of children's literature uh, called The Story of Ferdinand. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, story time with Ben. Here we go. 
Perhaps you know the story. If you don't, um, and they did a movie of this, right, recently? Apparently it wasn't all that good. I don't know. Book's always better. Book's always better. If you don't know the story, the story about a bull who was just massive, strength, just enormous bull. And there was this big bullfight they were throwing in Madrid, and they're like going around, all the matadors are looking for good bulls to bring into the arena to um, uh, compete against. And um, they see Ferdinand. And they they they're like this is our guy this is the this is the one this is the one that we need um, except that what Ferdinand was having nothing of it he uh, had absolutely no interest in fighting the matadors unlike all his bull friends um, the arena the parades all the celebrations he was not interested in that at all what did Ferdinand want to do sit under the cork tree there you go and smell the flowers. That's what he wanted to do. Everyone else was wanting him to go and fight in the arena. And he said, no, no, I want to sit and smell the flowers. The, mat- the matadors kept trying to provoke him. Yes, he did sit on a bee. And there's that part of the story. <laughs> they grab him and they take him in. But when they, when they put him in the arena and Ferdinand is there and he's sitting in the center of the arena. Again, if you don't know the story, this might be kind of getting awkward. But a lot of the ladies start throwing flowers for the matadors. And what's, what is his joy? Smelling flowers. And so he just sits in the center of this arena and just smells the flowers. They're trying to provoke him. In the midst of this circus, in the midst of this battle that's going on around him, he's sitting there and he's absolutely um, not transposed. What's the word when you're transported, I think is the word? He's just someplace else. He's smelling the fragrance, and this all around him just kind of fades away. Ferdinand's joy was set on something else. His joy was derived from something outside of the bullfighting world. If he had fought and won, his joy would have been in himself. But I'm using Ferdinand as a picture of meekness because, first of all, he displays strength restrained. Again, this is one of those definitions of meekness, strength restrained. Could Ferdinand have just been an amazing bull in Madrid? Yeah. But he chose not. His joy was set on something else. But the second reason I'm using Ferdinand as an example to get us thinking of this picture of meekness is because he finds joy outside of himself and that joy brings him contentment and peace in the midst of just chaos. And I think this begins to paint a picture for us about being meek. We see a picture of contentment, of not always having to be right, of not always having to be victorious, even when provoked, of not buying into what the world was selling him about prestige and uh, making a name for yourself. He's not buying into that. Ferdinand's joy came from outside of that world, and the bullfighting world could not comprehend it. Ferdinand was confusing to them. He was puzzling to them. He didn't fit into their paradigm, and they were bothered by it. And I think this is often the world's reaction to the gospel as well, right? Confusion. Wait, you believe what? 
your values are placed where? The gospel is foolishness to the world. Lose your life to find it. Strength made perfect in weakness. We're made great by becoming small. The meek shall inherit the earth. This is confusion. This is foolishness to the world. And yet, God says that it's true. Let's look back at Psalm 37 to see more of what it means to be meek. Help the Old Testament inform us in the new. The verses beginning at verse 5 that I read show us meekness. A meekness that begins, verse 5, with trusting God. And it concludes with inheriting land, which again is this metaphor for eternal life. So let's just go. uh, I don't know if you have... Bible or uh, just mental notes or something, but this would be a kind of a cool thing to do is just highlight some of these words that we see that again is in the background of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. The Hebrew word there is actually to roll. Not weird how they went from roll to commit. I guess I kind of get it, but I I like the picture there of just have this this burden on your shoulder, and we are told to roll it onto the Lord's. So a person who is is meek does that. 1 Peter 5, cast your anxieties onto the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. In Psalm 37, roll your way to the Lord. Why? He's trustworthy. That's another mark of a person who is meek. They trust the Lord. He's trustworthy. Verse 7, be still before the Lord. A meek person is still before the Lord, waiting patiently for him. Fret not yourself. And this is something if you want to, next time you're around someone who is freaking out, just tell them, fret not yourself. (laughs) Fret not yourself. Fret not yourself over what? Over evildoers who are succeeding. You're seeing other people who are living unrighteous lives, thriving, and you get fretted. I don't know if that's the right word, but fret not. Don't freak out. Why? Keep reading for just in just a little while. They're going to be gone. That sounds harsh. I know, but don't get wrapped up in that. The entanglements. Refrain from anger. Verse eight. Forsake wrath. Leading up to eventually verse 11. The evildoers will be cut off from the inheritance, but the meek will receive that inheritance. Let's keep going with this. Uh, Let's now go back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 to help us further understand meekness. And it's helpful to look here at the first two Beatitudes. There's a, a flow through the Beatitudes. The order matters. Don't read them independent of each other. Jesus is doing something. And 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 one flows out of the other. It's beautiful. Um, So let's let's look at this again. Uh, The first beatitude, if you remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. You remember what that means? If you are poor in spirit, you are a person who knows that he or she can, can bring nothing to the table when it comes to earning for oneself a right standing with God. You got nothing. And there's nothing you can bring to say, yeah, but I did this, so will you love me now? You are impoverished, poor in spirit. With that understanding, then there comes this sense of mourning, the second beatitude. 
Blessed are those who mourn. We are born thinking that we can make it without God. That's original sin. Absolutely convinced that God is an optional accessory to life. And then when we eventually realize that that's a lie, and that relationship with him is fundamental, there's some mourning Because everything you believed up to that point is now a lie. And what do you see clearly in front of you? You see your sin. And that leads to mourning, weeping, wailing. But how does Jesus immediately follow that up with? What does he say? But you're going to be comforted. You're going to be comforted. Not leaving leaving us in a state of mourning, but bringing us into a state of comfort. So with this sobriety of the heart, realizing that we are poor in spirit, we mourn our sin. Now that he has set the stage with this true view of ourselves, we are humbled, trusting not in ourselves for our salvation. And then he said, and you'll be meek. Blessed are the meek. Again, the worst thing you could do is to read this beatitude and say, well, okay, I want eternal life. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek because they're going to inherit what we now see as eternal life. Um, So I just need to go out there and just be the best meek person this world has ever seen. I just need to go out there and be meek. Um, No, that's not at all how it works. Not at all how it works. That's our tendency. But we need to be reminded, no, no, no. Meekness is coming into a true understanding of who you are, which is a sinner in desperate need of a savior. Of knowing that you are loved, that your value in life is not determined by how many matadors you kill. Not by how many parades are held in your honor. But your value in life is determined and has been won and secured by Jesus who kept the law, received the blessing and yet died as if he had broken the law. Died a cursed death for your and my complete Inability to keep the law. That's where we derive our worth and value. That love then compels us to live a life of meekness, of being other focused instead of self focused, of finding joy outside of how the world defines joy. A transcendent joy, a joy that is found in knowing and being known by your creator. Let me close with this. You might be wanting to ask the question, well, am I meek? How do I know? How do I know if I'm meek? All this sounds fine, but how do I know if I'm meek? And that's a good question to ask. We all should be asking that question. But to be honest, there are really more important questions that need to be asked prior to getting to that question. Jesus didn't lead off with blessed are the meek, right? We need to start with the questions asking the, uh, where he started. I don't know if I'm making sense, but ask this question. Are you poor in spirit? That's where Jesus started with. Let's start there. Are you poor in spirit? Do you acknowledge the fact in your mind and in your heart that you are a sinner in need of God's grace? Intellectually, but also is there this other reality that you're aware of that I am just not measuring up? Do you mourn your sin? Are you comforted at the same time 
by the Spirit whispering in your heart that because of Christ you are forgiven. And really with this question about whether or not I'm meek, we can kind of stop there because if you answered yes to those questions, guess what? You're meek. Are you living out of your poverty in spirit? Looking ahead to that inheritance of the kingdom, are you mourning your sin? But are you also comforted by the spirit saying that you are forgiven? And because you are meek, if if you answered yes to those questions, you've got an incomprehensible inheritance awaiting you. One that will fill you with delight and abundant peace, just as the psalmist writes in Psalmist 37, 11. Abundant peace. So hard to translate that. But just overflowing peace and, and delight. That's our inheritance. And we can taste it now. But man, we got that coming. Ferdinand found joy in the sweet aroma of flowers. But those flowers would eventually wither and die before the Christian. However, while in meekness we mourn our sin, there is no condemnation because of the sweet an everlasting aroma of God's grace. And that is a promise that we stand on. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray, I ask that these words that you are speaking to us through Psalm 37, through the Beatitudes, throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, that these will be life-giving words. Not merely words on a page, but life-giving words. Massage them into our hearts and our minds. Give us the desire to respond to your truth. To rest knowing that there is no more condemnation. None. Because of Jesus. And that sobriety leads leads us into a place of meekness. Where there is strength. But a strength that is other-centered. And not self. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.